You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Good morning to you. Let's take out God's word that we have before us and look up to Romans chapter 14 is where we're going to be looking and studying, thinking about today. Romans 14 verses 1 through 12, kind of a, an unusual larger chunk, and I, we're not there yet, but I'm foreseeing two weeks here in Romans 14, which feels like hitting fast forward on the button, but it, it seems like it's a chapter, it's kind of all an argument of the same and want to put them together with a little different part in each, each part uh, we'll look at. But Romans 14, on your way there, we've got one picture from Oliver from last week. And Oliver made this, uh, we were talking about wake up for the time is near. And so he's got this on here um, with the alarm clock. You got the sunshine, there's the car out front, but snooze button, or the alarm set at 7. We talked about the snooze button last night, or last week, so... I'm saying last night because I hit the snooze button this morning uh, once or twice, so maybe that's it. Um, but anyway, thank you, Oliver, for that. So, All right, well, you're in Romans 14. Let's first listen to God's Word. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. Listen for what God is teaching us through His servant, the Apostle Paul, and what he writes to the church at Rome. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld For the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Let's pray before we look at this more. Again, Lord, we just come to you seeking your grace and your mercy to understand what you've written before us. We often think about, Lord, in particular, we're in these verses 1 through 12, by your providence, by your hand. 
you have brought those together here today. Some were going to be somewhere else and they're here. Some have been here for many Sundays and today we're here and we're here in these 12 verses of Romans 14 of your word to listen to you. What would you say to our hearts and to our lives and to our body as we gather together as a church, the body of Christ, members one to another? If one member suffers, we suffer. If one member rejoices, we rejoice. So, Lord, would you help us in this passage to grow as members of Christ together and to grow in this love for one another as we study these verses today. We pray it by your Spirit and in the name of Jesus. Amen. You've probably heard the phrase, uh, different strokes for different folks. Ever heard that phrase? When I thought of that phrase, I thought of the 80s TV show. I think it started in the 70s, Different Strokes, the, the show, Different Strokes, if you remember back that far. But Different for, Strokes for Different Folks. In seminary, I had a professor that would say that pretty often. Different, different Strokes for Different Folks, he would say. So much that our family kind of started using it, although we changed it. We took out the rhyme. We just said, Different Strokes for Different People. And you get the idea. There is different strokes and different people. And that phrase gives you a taste, I think, of what Paul's seeking to teach and correct in the church at Rome. And in our text this week, we're going to look at it next week as well here in chapter 14. I think the main question in our text before us is this. How does one relate to those with different convictions? These matters of conscience or opinions on what's right and acceptable, what's wrong and not pleasing to the Lord. How do we relate to one another? So in Paul's day, these differences showed up in terms of eating and observing certain days. And in our day, it might still relate to eating or days, and it might be a host of other things. Well, I'll try to give some examples later on. But let me ask you this before we dive into verse 1. I wonder if I can ask you as a group, do you have any differences with anyone seated here? Don't mention them right now. Don't put up your hand. Do you have any differences of opinion, differences of conviction that might come to mind? Maybe it's someone outside of here, another brother or sister in Christ somewhere else. Maybe it's within our body. Maybe they're matters of opinion or matters of conscience. And again, I'm trying to give, I'll try to give some examples, but... I think having someone, having something in mind where you've got this tension might help you in the application of what it is that we're studying here. So let's do that study. We come back to verse 1. We get a sense of the problem that Paul wants to address where he says, as for the one who is weak in the faith or weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. And so Paul seems to distinguish here somebody that is weak in the faith. And so as he talks about this one, it seems like he's addressing those strong in the faith. So to you that are strong in the faith, welcome this one who is weak in the faith. And verse 2, we'll get to, it's going to help us understand just who this weak one is. But before we get there, I think we can see here there's varying, I don't know the, the right word to describe it, maybe varying qualities of faith. This one weak in the faith. So other places in Scripture, you've got faith and kind of a, a quality or maybe a, a description of it. Abraham, in, in Romans 4, verse 20, he's said to be strong in the faith. 
So there's Abraham, he's strong in his faith. Or Matthew 6, Jesus speaks to those worrying. He, he says, oh, you of, remember that, little faith. So there's different qualities, maybe levels. I'm not sure which word would write describe it. Um, elsewhere, Jesus speaks of a woman's, her great faith. And so here is one weak in faith. And Paul says to those strong, welcome him. Or maybe you have receive him. But he says not to quarrel over opinions. So there's differences. They're going to exist. But don't welcome someone for the sake of arguing or just to get into a verbal conflict. And as to that conflict, I think verse 2 helps us understand maybe more of the topic, what's at hand, where Paul says one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Okay, so here's the issue. There's ones that are eating vegetables only or ones eating vegetables and meat. And perhaps it was, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, he talks about meat that's been offered to an idol and some that would have issue with that. This meat was put before an idol and offered there and then maybe, I think, sold in the marketplace. Should we eat that? Or, Doug Moo, he notes here, Jewish Christians living in Rome, these strange parts of the city maybe, maybe they weren't in just the Jewish parts, just, just to be on the safe side, they would only eat the kosher meat, or kosher meaning whatever's fit to eat according to Jewish food laws. That's all we're going to eat, just to be, we're not sure, to, but to be on the safe side. And so to be on the safe side, we're going to not eat, we'll abstain. And then another eats whatever he likes. If it's Jewish food laws, I think he would see them I think strong in the face, see them, they're done away with in Christ. Okay, so you've got these differences going on, at least in terms of eating here. We'll get to days later. But verse 3 then, Paul gives the command. Listen to the, the two aspects of this command. Let not the one who eats, the eating one, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. So I think these are distinct. Some see these as maybe interlapping the same thing. I think they're distinct wrong attitudes and actions countered by Paul towards the Roman church. So the first one is, if you do eat, so like if you do eat anything like meat, don't despise, so let, the, let not the one who eats, are you eating? Don't despise the one who abstains. And there, despise can mean to show by one's attitude or manner of treatment that an entity has no merit or worth. Or in other words, to condemn or to scorn, to disdain, to have the lowest opinion of or to abhor. So Paul's addressing to the one who eats, says, I can eat anything, my faith's strong. Paul says, don't look down on your brother as worthless or have such a low opinion of this one with a different opinion here. That's one way. Now, I think Paul switches it and says also to the one weak in faith. I think there's both being addressed. So number two, Paul says to the weak one, don't pass judgment on those who do eat. So though they have weak faith, Paul doesn't refrain from calling them to a command as well. They're not, they're not to pass judgment. They're not to criticize or find fault with or to pass judgment. They're not to condemn these eating ones. So the non-eater, 
You know, I'm not having meat. They might be prone to condemn. Look at that one who is eating. I knew, I, and to judge them. They're not looking down so much as there's this judgment. Both of these Christians, believers, have problems. But the problems seem to be distinct from each other. So the one looks down on the other. The other seems to pass judgment on the other. But look at how Paul ends verse 3 with a note that brings both ends into the same camp. You see how he ends it? For God has welcomed him. We saw this in that beginning as well. So in, in one way, both sides, they are not receiving the other. They're not welcoming of the other. And Paul says this is not how God sees either of them. And God has welcomed them. So I think this is a critical phrase to understand this whole section here because it, it casts our eyes, our, our, maybe our despising eyes on others that have different opinions, others that have judging hearts. If that's where you're at, consider the Lord. How does the Lord, and I think that's the thrust of 1 through 12, how does the Lord factor into this situation? This is, goes beyond, this is me against so-and-so, or me despising the one, or me placing judgment on the other. What does the Lord think? And the Lord thinks he has welcomed them. And look at the Lord now as we look into verse 4. Who are you, Paul says, to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. I think this is going to be Paul's plea even further on as well. Ultimately, God is the Lord, and all will stand before him. More, Leon Morris writes this. He says, both strong and weak should realize that it is God, not they and those who think like them whose verdict counts. So it's the Lord's verdict. It's his judgment. That's what counts. That's what Morris is pointing out. I don't think verse 4 means that we never judge. Okay? I, I, I don't see it meaning that, that we never judge a fellow believer. Listen to this, because I know we're kind of in a land or in a place of don't judge, don't, you know, hearing this. 1 Corinthians 5, this is where I would go. Paul issues, he seems to issue a call to judge those, but judge them inside the church. Listen to the matters, though. I'll just, just kind of reviewing for you. They're matters of sexual immorality, they're greed, idolatry, drunkenness. So we must be discerning what is sinful, what are abhorrent practices that we need to really confront? We need to tell somebody, don't do, you shall not, don't do this. Or, or a positive command, do this. And then there's issues of conscience. Calvin helpfully, he comments, he writes kind of on this question, are we judging one another? Are these matters, am I, ju-? you know, don't judge me, that's your opinion. And that can be thrown out, you know, a lot. That's just, that's just your opinion. And that diffuses, you know, well, I guess we're at a standstill. I think there's places where we're beyond opinion. We're at God's opinion. That's what Calvin's going to get at. He says, as to his deeds, we may indeed form, I think the deeds of another, we may indeed form a decisive opinion. And this is key. He says, though not according to our own views, but according to the word of God. Is that helpful in this? He says, and the judgment derived from his word is neither human nor another man's judgment. 
Paul then intended here to restrain us from presumption in judging. I think that means assumption or kind of figuring it out on our own into which they fall who dare to pronounce anything respecting the actions of men without the warrant of God's word. Calvin is getting at, is God's word clear? Use that as the basis for this is wrong, this is right, and that sort of thing. Now, there's other things that aren't so clear And I want to give some examples of opinions. They are important. And even in this topic, and in these opinions I'm going to give, you're going to feel yourself. Maybe you'll even feel your attention like, well, that's just clear, you know, or or, that's conviction. There's some of these things. And I'm not saying we shouldn't hold those clearly or our convictions carefully according to the Word of God. But here we are in 14, and Paul says something like, God's welcomed him, don't judge. And And this sort of, how do we... Think about these. Here's some that I just thought of. I'm sure there's more, and I'm just not maybe even creative enough here. But I think they're strong opinions, but I think this is what they are. Opinions are maybe this area of conscience, objections. For instance, probably with the the eating, we think of drinking, alcohol use. I suspect there's going to be differing opinions amongst us. I, I think it seems to be a matter of conscience. What's governed? Governed by the clear Scripture, though, don't get... Drunk, drunkenness. Paul talked about it, verse Corinthians 5. Strong, don't let go of your opinion. It's just these can be matters of conscience. Uh, other things, entertainment choices, maybe the movies you watch, maybe how somebody dresses or the clothing they wear, maybe the music choices, some of, some of that. Maybe there's, there's book choices. You know, there's, shall a Christian read Harry Potter or not? You know, those types of things. You kind of get an idea. Maybe there's school choices, homeschool Public school, we've got a mix here. Different convictions, opinions. We're going to have strong opinions. And those ought to be, we ought to be grounded again in the Word of God. And Paul's going to say, be convinced in your mind. But we've also got to, where it's more vague, where we don't have a clear, thou shalt, you know, do this and that. We've got to abstain from judgment. Notice how verse 4 ends. It ends on this note of grace before the Lord. Not before you, the judge, before the Lord. We would do well to remember. It says, and this one will be upheld. Why? Can he stand? Because the Lord's able to make him stand. And I take stand here, as we're going to see, to be this image of standing before the judge. Psalm chapter 1, verse 5 says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So in the matter of differing opinions, matters of conscience, realize we've got a master and judge. It's not you. We do have one. And everyone, each one will stand before the Lord. And even there, this standing is by God's grace. The Lord is able to make him stand. You mean that one that I don't agree with on that area? Yeah. And you mean that one that seems to be so weak and why can't they? I mean, come on. Yeah, those because the Lord is able to make him stand. Paul continues in verse 5, and now he gets to the subject of days. In verse 5, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be, you see it there? I've got at least ESV, fully convinced in his own mind. So these days could be referenced to like a Jewish, maybe the Sabbath day. 
Leon Morris says it's possible that Paul is, quote, he's, quote, referring to feast days and fast days, either those laid down in the Jewish law or those derived from other sources. Morris doesn't think so, but there's also, I saw, I mean, read of certain lucky days and certain unlucky days. Maybe our, what's our closest, St. Patrick's Day? I don't know. You, you know, somebody really puts green on and somebody doesn't, or maybe that. I don't know. Colossians 2, though, Paul addresses this in another way. I think he's got some sort of days in mind. Colossians 2.16, 2, verse 16 says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment. Interesting. Sounds a lot like where we're at. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, eating, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Wherever you land on these issues, though, Paul would say, verse 5, you should be fully convinced. And if you break down the, as the New Testament written in the language of Greek originally, that that's the language that's here, as you break this down in this word of being fully convinced, it's got this idea of, I think, fully bearing scrutiny or bearing any load of doubt. And so I tend to think that there's this idea of being fully convinced, it's this related to the area of conscience, being fully uh, convinced settled. There's not doubt. This is the right thing to do. So we're not trying to take out opinions just flat, don't have convictions. Be convinced, Paul says. MacArthur sees the conscience, he says this, as a God-given mechanism to warn. And it responds to the highest standard of moral law in the mind. And so multiple readings say, don't go against your conscience, MacArthur says, it is not sensible to train yourself to ignore it. So somebody's doing something, and they say, come on, do this. And you're thinking, no, I don't think this is right. I'm not fully convinced. The advice here is listen to your conscience. Don't ignore it. MacArthur says, rather respond to its compunctions. And as you mature, by learning more, your mind will not alert it to those things which are not essential. I think there's, a pad, there's maturity in the faith. Maybe that's towards what Paul, weak in the faith. There's growing the faith where certain things that bothered the conscience don't. I'm not saying certain sins. I'm saying th- certain conviction, opinion areas, that sort of thing. So do what makes for a clear conscience. And the problem here broadly, it's really how people of... It's really... <laughs> How each of us, being fully convinced, how do all these consciences that are here, sitting here, how do we function together? How do we do this? That's where Paul's leading us in community, how we do that. That we not despise, that we not pass judgment. Okay, let's take a little bigger chunk, verses 6 through 8, and then look at these uh, six. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. Listen to these. How do they do it? The one who eats. Well, he eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. So Paul wants to point out, again, both conviction, both conscience, both opinion, both sides they look like they are honoring, they're seeking to honor God and worship Him. And I think what matters in this is 
Are you doing it unto the Lord? The gospel and our being transformed here to live for the Lord really comes back, again, this, our theme throughout chapter uh, 12, 13, 14, even into 15 is this sacrificial living, this being born again to be this living sacrifice. That we're not concerned, none of us, that we not live to ourselves. It's this living to the Lord. And both opinions, convictions are seeking to live for the Lord. A living sacrifice has no care for self. It's got a mission, and that mission is to serve its master. And so whether in life or death, the sacrifice of our lives and what we do and what we eat and down to where we drink and what we do, these things we are to live for the glory and honor of the one to whom all glory and honor belongs. Made me think of Philippians chapter 1 where Paul says this. You'll, you'll hear it, the familiar words. He says, As it is my eater, eager expectation and hope, that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul's focus here, Christ's honor, in verse 21 he says, For to me to live is Christ, you remember? And to die is gain. Whatever it is, in the eating, in the day observing or in the not eating, whatever it is to live as unto the Lord, to honor him in what you do. I mean, it's just the gamut of it in life, in death, wherever. Paul's saying both ways, they're seeking to honor the Lord. All right, look at verse 9 then. Kind of this bit of a conclusion statement. For to this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. So here's the end. Here's the root. Here's the cause. Why did Christ die? Why did he live again that Christ may be Lord? That we've sung about. Worthy are you. Worthy of our praise unto eternity. These creatures, did you hear how long they bow? 24 hours, seven days a week to eternity. Christ is the Lord. And so we sang about, yes, Jesus is a friend to sinners. He is that. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. He's that friend. And he's that friend who's reconciled us to God, and he's also our Lord, our Master, the reigning King. So whether you eat or you abstain, whether you observe certain days, you don't, you drink this, you don't drink, you, you go here, you don't go, you do this, it's a high calling. Either way, are you doing it unto the Lord? And make sure before you go poking your brother and your sister and their conscience, check your own. Am I living for the Lord? It's kind of that, you know, check your, this log hanging out and you're going swinging at other people. Check and look for it. Look for that log in your own eye. The heart matter is what matters and it's one of living under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Verses 10 through 12, then, they take the situation and they bring us to a scene. A scene before your mind, the scene of the judgment seat of God himself. Look at 10 and 11. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? You see the, the boaths there. For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, 
As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Paul's questions of the one judging or the one despising his brother, they bring, they kind of bring each one before this supreme, this, this seat of judgment. It's called the, maybe, I don't know, maybe a version, maybe the King James has Bema seat in it. It's called the Bema seat. It can be defined as a, a dais, a, what's a dais, a throne or a, a platform. What's this judgment seat of God? This, it's called Bema seat. A throne platform that required steps to ascend. One definition says a magistrate would address an assembly from a chair placed on the structure. So this, think of this higher structure, they say, especially a, a judicial bench. Isn't that interesting? We have some of that same language. Uh, I, I came to mind, a lawyer says, you know, Your Honor, may I approach the, the bench? Go, Where is the bench coming from? He's, he's in a nice office chair. What's the bench idea? I think it comes back here. There's this, this bench. The magistrate sits on this judgment bench, this judgment seat. There's a judgment going on. And that's the scene before us. And I think when we wrongly judge our brother or we wrongly despise our brother, we actually propose to sit in the seat where Jesus is supposed to sit. It's his seat. It's where God's seat is. Paul says God, the True judgment seat, it's the Lord's. He is the judge of all. And it's to him that we all ultimately must stand. He's the ultimate judge. So when we quarrel over opinions that lack, again, be discerning. They lack clear scriptural basis. Maybe they're seen in two ways, two conscience matters. And we quarrel. Be careful that you're not taking a seat in, this, in the chair of the magistrate. Being the Lord, isn't that what all our judgment is? I've, yeah, but I'm going to judge for him. I've got the best idea going. It's, again, it, are you grounded in God's word? All right. In light of this coming to stand before God's seat in his reign, Paul ends here, verse 12 at least, for us today, considering again our own lives. He says, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Each one shall give an account. You each shall give an account. You who are bent on the eating or not the eating or on the day or the, not the days, the call here, I think, is stop, consider your own place before the Lord. Where are you at? And so thinking in this way, it really doesn't, I mean, it, it matters to us how bad the world is or the neighborhood or how bad you think your fellow brother or sister is. But that may be the case, but bring it to yourself first. What matters is you and you alone. You're going to answer for your actions. We will give an account towards God. Now, just to be clear again, because Paul's been clear in this book of Romans, how are we justified? How are we declared righteous before this judicial bench? And it is only in the righteousness of Christ. It's His, it's this imputed righteousness of Christ that we can even stand. And yet we are saved. We are born again to do what? To live for the Lord. To be transformed. To be this living sacrifice. No longer, Paul would say, no longer slaves to sin, but obedient as slaves unto righteousness. And so we will give an account for the life we've been 
given. And I, I think both of these truths, God's grace, you see it in verse, verse 4. You know, he'll be upheld. The Lord is able to make him stand. So you see these, they're two at the same time. That God is able to uphold him. He makes him stand. God welcomes the one. We saw that in 1 and 3 here. And yet we'll also stand and we'll give an account. And even in our giving an account for what we have done, I like how Sinclair Ferguson says it. He says it will be grace from beginning to end. Even our works, our living, our giving an account, even there. You know, I, I think I heard it in what Milt read this morning, that, that they cast their crowns. If a crown is a reward, even the reward, you say, it's, Ferguson would say, it's from you. It's your grace. John 3, verse 21 says, Whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Or again, familiar, Philippians 2. says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, Paul would say, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Okay? Before the judge, work out that before the Lord, for it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. In Christ, and I hope you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, repenting of sin, turning to Christ to be reconciled, to be righteous, not of my own Lord, but of his. If that's you, we are forever righteous in Christ because he has died, he's been raised to life, we're united to him by grace through faith. And our works, our works will echo back to God of His grace in our lives. So it's grace, again, as Ferguson said, from beginning to end. We've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So we look to Christ, not us in the final judgment, to Him be glory. Next week, we're going to get in more. I think, so I see this week more as this vertical view, kind of this consider the Lord. You've got somebody with a different opinion, conviction, conscience around you. First consider the judge who is the Lord, not you. Next week, I think it gets more, more horizontal, kind of this walking in love toward your brother you're going to see or pursue peace or mutual building, that idea. This week, let me just review really briefly this week the emphasis here on three things. For the one with whom you differ in opinion, you have him in mind? <laughs> Realize God has welcomed him or her, and the Lord is able to make him or her stand. Number two, the one with whom you differ in opinion, each of us ultimately lives unto the Lord. Let each be fully convinced that his actions honor the Lord. Either way. Number three, to the one with whom you differ in opinion, consider the ultimate judge. Don't take his seat. It's his. If there be judgment or rebuke that's needed, let it be. Search the Scriptures. Let it be according to the clarity of God's Word where he has spoken, that you can speak God's Word into this. So it's not your opinion. It's, it's you looking at the Word. And then remembering you yourself are going to give an account. Make sure that your life not the person you're thinking of. Your life has a bended knee, a bowed heart towards the Lord of all. Let's pray together.
So, Lord, before your people, I realize there's more areas that we've even not listed off. Drinking, eating, days, school choices, clothes, I don't, other things, Lord. Things that Satan can use as an opportunity amongst us to divide the body. Lord, where you have, so help, we need your help. I'm just praying on behalf of all of us and the one preaching. Help us to discern. May we be people of the word that, that our, our opinions, our convictions, we, we hold them and then we hold tight to, to the clear things of your word. And we also, Lord, help us to obey what you've commanded, to welcome those whom you've welcomed not according to our opinions, but yours. Yours is the one that matters. And if you have justified, who are we to judge? So give us that discernment and wisdom. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the clarity, the scope of your word. May we be such people of it that we can discern these things well. And not just knowing your word, loving you through your word. Guide us in this love, we pray. been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.